Hear now a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. I invite you to note any word, phrase, or image that speaks to your heart. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it just remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever lost a pet? When Emma and I moved to Cocoa Beach over four years ago, we brought two cats and carefully followed the instructions of our vet to acclimate them to the new neighborhood so that they wouldn't run away. Several months later, one of them, Bernie, disappeared, and we never got him back. As you can imagine, this was heartbreaking for our family. Eventually, we got a new cat and named him Oliver. I have grown to love this cat, and I was certainly his person. As a kitten, Oliver stayed inside all of the time, but as he got older, we gradually let him go outside for longer and longer periods of time. Eventually, he was spending his days inside and his nights outside with our other big tomcat. Every morning before we woke up, both cats would be on the back porch pawing at the sliding glass door to come into the house. But one day, Oliver didn't come back. One day turned into two and then three and then four and five, and I was sure that he was gone like Bernie. And I got so depressed thinking I would never see him again. Then on day six, out of the blue, he showed up at the back door. I was so happy to see him that I threw open the door and snatched him up in my arms. <laughs> Have you ever experienced something like this? Even if you haven't, many people like this kind of heartwarming story in which lost pets make their way home. Although cats like Oliver are sometimes the subject of these stories, more often they are about wandering dogs. 
Take, for example, the story of Laser the Beagle, who lived with his family outside Winnipeg, Canada. The family took him to their lake house, but he got spooked by fireworks and dashed into the woods. After hours of fruitless searching, they had to leave Laser behind and returned home, but not before hanging several lost dog posters. Soon after arriving home, the phone calls started coming in. Several people had spotted Laser, but no one was able to catch him. The curious thing was that each of the Laser sightings was a little bit closer to the family's home in Winnipeg. Eventually, someone cornered Laser in a schoolyard and reunited him with his family. He had traveled 50 miles to get home. <laughs> What's most interesting to me about these kinds of stories is how certain mammals, especially dogs, are able to figure out where they are in the world and then find their way home. Although scientists have not completely figured this out, the leading theory is that dogs have some innate ability to sense and follow the Earth's magnetic field. Just as a compass needle swings to point unerringly towards magnetic north, something inside a dog's body does much the same. In addition to dogs, scientists believe that whales, dolphins, and even sea turtles share these magnetic navigation abilities. A June 2020 study from the Czech Republic tracks how this happens. Over a three-year period, researchers equipped 27 dogs of 10 different breeds with GPS tracking devices, then released them into the woods. The dogs consistently found their way back home. They couldn't have been using the sun's position because they found their way back even on cloudy days. Nor could they have been using visual landmarks because there was no difference between small dogs and large dogs, which are able to better see over obstructions like tall grass. Nor were the dogs following their own scent trail because several were released from vehicles far from home and still exhibited scouting behavior. What's fascinating is that all of them began their journey home with a north-south run that the researchers believe is a way of resetting their internal compass according to the Earth's magnetic axis. The dogs made this north-south compass run regardless of the direction in which their destination was located. After the compass run, they headed unerringly in the direction of home. Now at this point, you may be thinking, all of this is pretty interesting, Mark, but what in the world does it have to do with our scripture reading this morning? Well, let's start at the beginning of the passage that we read and make the connection. As we move forward, I encourage you to keep in mind the idea of magnetism and how it helped the dogs find their way home. It says in John 12, beginning with verse 30, that people were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Among this crowd of people 
were some Greeks who sought out Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, saying, We want to see Jesus. Although this may sound like a normal request to us, it would have been strange to Philip and others following Jesus during this time. Why? Because the earliest followers of Jesus were mostly Jewish and thought of Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, since their culture, mindset, and view of Jesus was thoroughly Jewish they probably wondered why in the world these Greek men wanted to talk to Jesus. But despite the strangeness of the request, it made its way up the chain of command to Jesus himself. And interestingly, it created a disruption in his spirit. With a sense of foreboding, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he goes on to say that a seed must fall into the ground and die if it's going to bear fruit and multiply. And that a willingness to lose one's life for Jesus and the sake of the gospel is an important part of being one of his disciples. Then Jesus says, my soul is troubled. And even though he is tempted to pray, Father, save me from this hour, he knows that what is coming next is the culmination of the work God had given to him. Suddenly, as happened at his baptism and in his transfiguration, a voice comes from heaven and speaking of Jesus says, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Upon hearing this divine confirmation, Jesus declares that the time of the world's judgment is at hand and with it the defeat of the ruler of this world. Whether he was speaking of the Roman emperor or of a more spiritual adversary was an open question to those listening to him. Then Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. At this point, it becomes clear that the whole passage we read this morning is about Jesus's impending death by crucifixion. This is what he means when he talks about the Son of Man being glorified and God being glorified through him. And all of this talk about seeds dying before they can bear fruit and the importance of self-sacrifice for those who want to follow Jesus is an attempt to prepare the disciples for his own death. His talk of being lifted up is a reference to how Jesus will be lifted up on a cross which is precisely how he will draw all people to himself. This whole passage is about the magnetic power of the cross and how it can help us find our way home. Some of you are old enough to remember the time when car dashboards were metal and Christian bookstores sold little magnetic statues of Jesus. These figures were meant to be placed on the dashboard of a car as a reminder of the Lord's caring presence during morning and evening commutes. It's pretty hard to find one of these magnetic statues today, mainly because dashboards are now made of fiberglass and plastic. Nevertheless, they remind us that the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus who is alive and active today is himself magnetic although in a different sense. 
Jesus is magnetic simply because of the kind of person that he is. How he thinks, how he speaks and teaches, how he acts and lives his life. There is something about Jesus, something that is most clearly revealed in the cross that attracts people and draws them into Jesus' sphere of influence. This attraction is like a spiritual magnetic pull to true north. You know, gossip columnists laud the magnetism of certain movie stars or political leaders. By that, they typically mean a combination of good looks and a winning personality. These fortunate few have what we call star power. Another word used for this sort of celebrity attraction is charisma. This may come as a surprise, but at its root, the word charisma is a religious word. Originally, a charism, which is closely related to the Greek word for grace, was considered a gift of the Holy Spirit intended to help followers of Jesus accomplish his mission to bring salvation to the world. So, when we talk about Jesus being magnetic, we are not talking about the charisma of a celebrity, because what Jesus offers is far more than star power. Nor are we just talking about Jesus' ability to attract. As we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus' magnetism is kind of like those old-fashioned bar magnets that our grade school science teachers used to explain the physics of magnetism. Remember how if you placed two of those bar magnets together on a lab table in a certain way, they would suck together and stick. But that's not all they did. Do you also remember how if you spun one magnet around uh, and to, to the other side and tried to bring the two together, that they would actually push apart? As soon as you let them go, they would spin off in the opposite direction. Sometimes the magnets attracted and sometimes they repelled. And Jesus's magnetism was kind of like that insofar as some people were drawn to him while others were repelled by him. Think, for example, of what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which we celebrate during Palm Sunday. This story happens at the end of his earthly life, and if you remember, there were some people as he entered the city who waved palm branches in the air as they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Clearly, these people were at least initially attracted to him. But there were others on the scene who were repulsed by Jesus, namely the Jewish religious leaders. As the crowd cheered, they snarled with disdain. Look, the world has gone after him. They were not attracted to Jesus. They were repulsed by him. And the determining factor of attraction or repulsion had everything to do with the orientation of the heart. You see, when we are actively and thoughtlessly living in sin, when our hearts are turned away from God and we are trying to be a God to ourselves, then we are repelled by Jesus. It's like two positive ends of a bar magnet that push away from each other. Jesus is God the Son and invites us to surrender so that we can receive the gift of salvation 
But as we try to be a God into ourselves and our hearts are oriented toward competition and conflict, we feel something like a magnetic repulsion that drives us away from Christ. In contrast, if we come to Jesus acknowledging our sin, acknowledging that we are not God, but are in desperate need of God to help us, then our hearts are turned around and we are attracted to Jesus. Again, it's like taking two bar magnets that are both facing positive and repelling each other and spinning one around to negative and having them snap together. As our hearts are reoriented toward humility, confession, and surrender, we are attracted to Jesus and are drawn closer to Him. This most often happens when we look at the cross and hear God say, this is how much I love you. And this also helps us to understand what Jesus means when He says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The cross of Jesus, which is where love wins, operates as a kind of spiritual magnetism. Once the power of this love turns your heart and grabs a hold of you, there's just no resisting. He draws you close to Himself. He unites His Spirit with your spirit, and everything changes. And friends, it's not just the cross that is magnetic. The cross does serve as a symbol of Jesus' entire life and ministry, as the culmination of the kind of person He was, as a focal point that helps us to understand the depth of God's power and love at work in Him. But again, it wasn't simply the cross of Jesus that was magnetic. His whole life was magnetic from the very beginning. Remember at His birth, He attracted shepherds to Bethlehem and wise men from afar. In the temple, when He was 12 years old, He attracted the wise and educated who gathered around to hear Him teach. After His baptism, He attracted fishermen and tax collectors who left everything to follow Him. He even attracted the wise Pharisee Nicodemus, who came to Him by night to learn how to be born from above. He attracted all kinds of women, from the practical, no-nonsense Martha to her dreamy sister Mary. He attracted the outcast, the rejected, the sick, the disabled, and the vulnerable. He attracted all kinds of crowds, and He also attracted children who were drawn to His kind and gentle spirit. Even the Roman governor, Pilate, felt the pull of his magnetism as he interrogated Jesus before sentencing him to death. And just as Jesus drew all these people to himself, he can do the same for you today. Have you ever felt the pull of Jesus' love in your own life, calling you out of self-destructive habits? Have you experienced the fascination that comes from hearing his story the timeless story retold by the church in every age? Have you ever turned to Him in grief or worry or fear and discovered at the center of your being a calm and peaceful place where none of life's storms can harm you? If so, you have felt His magnetism. And this experience is probably what keeps drawing you back to worship week after week. You have felt His pull and you want to experience more.
Have you ever seen one of those huge magnets at the junkyard? It's truly an impressive sight. Junkyard owners attach a large electromagnet to the end of a crane. Then the crane operator swings the magnet way out over a barren field strewn with the wrecks of automobiles. And the magnet is strong enough to attract every kind of metal that is worth refining. Everything that's not attracted, the junkyard owner ships off to be destroyed or buried in a landfill. Everything the magnet has grabbed is saved and put to good use. And this is what the spiritual magnetism of Jesus can do for us. And this is one reason why we continue to be drawn to him. Jesus has a way of lifting good things out of us and redeeming everything of value, helping us to leave behind the things that no longer serve us. And the magnetism of Jesus is not just helpful to us, but also makes us helpful to others. As we follow Jesus, we discover that his magnetism is contagious. It's transferable. Think again about those clunky bar magnets in science class. If you take a magnet that's powerful enough and you strap another piece of metal right up against it for a sufficient period of time, that metal too becomes a magnet. Somehow, the magnetic force leaps the gap and the other metal bar becomes infused with the magnet's power. Then it too can attract others. In a similar way, if we stay close to Jesus, then we become magnetic too. Our lives become attractive to people who are hurting and in need of help, giving us an opportunity to invite and guide others to the one source of all attraction. In this way, Jesus' magnetism works through us to draw others into a saving relationship with Him. We become partners with Jesus in his mission to bring healing to the world. If you have ever experienced this firsthand, if others have come to know the healing power of Jesus through your friendship or through the telling of part of your story, then you know how much of a blessing this is. It brings so much joy to know that God is using us to help others find healing, peace, love, and joy. And this is one of the incredible gifts we get when we stay close to Jesus. Friends, as you know, Holy Week is coming. Soon we will retell the stories of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, of the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, of His crucifixion on Good Friday, and of course His resurrection on Easter Sunday. As we approach these world-changing events, maybe you will experience the pull of Jesus. Indeed, if you accepted my challenge on Ash Wednesday and have been practicing some of the spiritual disciplines during the season of Lent, then perhaps you have already been feeling this pull. What does this pull feel like in your life? Maybe it's a yearning for more healing. Maybe it's a yearning for more freedom or peace more gratitude and contentment, or more meaning in your life. Regardless of how you've experienced the pull of Jesus, I invite you to continue walking with Him in these final days of Lent with expectant hearts. 
walk with him not only as he enters the city in bright sunshine, but also as he wades into the shadows. Go with him to dark Gethsemane and beyond. Watch with him and wonder at this spectacle of God's own Son, arrested, condemned, crucified, and risen from the grave. As you allow yourself to be drawn to Jesus, you just might feel his healing touch and receive something that quenches your deepest spiritual thirst.